Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Yeah, right. Crazy. Ah, crazy. Hello, welcome to episode 161. Well, I've had loads of good messages about last week's episode with Keith Brimer-Jones. Proper good fun, wasn't it? Well, today I'm taking you to meet Carolyn Tripp. Carolyn and I were introduced by mutual friend, being Soho radio presenter and Maddox Gallery director, Maeve Doyle. Maeve saw that we both had a similar trait in our work, that being... Both Carolyn's pottery and my drawings are one thing from a distance and then as you get closer, you have a sudden realisation that there's something else. And you'll obviously hear what that realisation is in this podcast. An episode that would not be able to be listened to if it wasn't for our Patreon supporters. As I often say, this podcast is kept afloat by the listeners and if you'd like to help or contribute in a small way, you can go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile you'll find a Linktree drop-down box which will direct you over to the Patreon page and you can donate from as little as £3 a month. But if that's not for you, that's fine. This content is free for absolutely everyone. And as you can see, we're up to episode 161 and we've got every type of artist and creative you could shake a stick at. So go and take a look at the back catalogue. There's something there for absolutely everyone. But back to this week's episode... Please come and join me as I spoke over Zoom to Carolyn Tripp. I'm a trustee of London Potters, which is a charity oh, for nice. potters who work and live in London, although you don't have to work. It could be anywhere no. in the country yeah, or yeah, the world. Yeah. Um, and people who just like pottery and we have like an educational remit and whatever. So, yeah, I'm charged with publicity on that front. But it's really yeah. good. So I've written <laughs> a few articles and, you know, done a few things out of my comfort zone for them. But um, but that's really good because in a way that they're the they're the group that got me started exhibiting. My oh, work. nice which is really nice, you know, five years ago, well, nearly five years ago, four years ago, I took part in an exhibition and 
it was an open exhibition. So you just put three pieces of work in and I sold them all and I got a prize and it gave me the, you know, the boost and the confidence to move forward. So yeah, it's really important to give back, I think, when yeah. it, you know helped you out. So yeah, it's nice, nice. Well, working with clay is a really satisfying medium, isn't it? it is. I've done it, a, I've done it a few times. I've got a few slab vases and a and a few bits where I was allowed on the wheel for a while. This is yeah. while I was away. So it was years ago. Yeah. yeah. But it's just so much fun. Once you can actually get something up without it collapsing yeah. in on itself yeah it's quite an achievement and then um it's a real you know I I didn't start working with clay I always wanted as a child I remember watching that test card and you know the little girl yeah, on yeah, the yeah. Wheel. and I wanted I remember there was a tabletop wheel as a toy and I'm so glad I never got it because the torque value on it would have been so bad that, you know, as soon as you put your hands on it, it would have stopped. So I think it would have put me off, but it, it remained a dream. And it wasn't until I was in my thirties, no, 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 late twenties that I was able to go to an evening class. And um, I still remember the first thing I made and that sense of achievement. I remember so I made this bowl, I press molded a bowl. And I remember standing there and actually physically saying, I made that. Yeah, it's I, great, I made it? that. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that so my first class with people when I'm teaching, I always want to do something that they're going to have something at the end of it. Because a lot of play takes time and you have to let things dry. So yeah. you make something very simple, but it's a physical thing. And so you go from nothing or a lump of something to something. And that feeling of achievement is so important. Yeah, um, and it's and it's also you, you're just using something from the from the oh, earth, wow. aren't you? Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like it's something very really grounding. Good. It's a lovely, uh, you know. Sometimes I'll find people. I've worked a lot with um, special needs as well, and you might find someone who's not verbal, and and they can just sort of touch clay, and it feels good. And that's yeah. that's what someone does. That's what they do, and it's it does. It feels very good. And when I've not been because of the nature of what I do. You know, I have to throw and then I it has to dry and then it's fired and then it has to be decorated. And so I have a sort of a six week cycle of making. And by the end of that six weeks, I'm itching to get back to the to the Brilliant. clay, you know, yeah. and, and just to feel it again, because you're not feeling it in its raw form for, for a great part of that. Yeah. So, yeah. And what I did discover, you have to um, you have to be prepared for the um, for surprises as well, you know. Yeah, failures and surprises. Yeah. <laughs> I but, mean, they um, can be good or they can be really disheartening. Yeah. Really disheartening, yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, I always, I remember when I was doing my training or I did my degree at Camberwell and I was a mature student and I can remember um, sort of a lot of the things I was doing was multi-process, so multiple firings. And I remember getting this piece out of the kiln which had actually been a mistake it had underfired but it gave me this sort of like a flocking type effect which in, as an art piece it wouldn't be very good as a functional piece but as an art piece was it was brilliant you know and I was and then I I think I tripped over and broke it as I was carrying it from the kiln you know and there's all, <laughs> all those processes and and that's the thing, you know, it breaks. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like this sort of bronze statue or the, or, you know, but that could be melted down, couldn't it? Or, you know, and I think the thing is, yeah, you just have to appreciate, um, you have to appreciate the process. 
yeah. for me you know I have to appreciate the process and it's always a learning it's always a learning curve you know make sure that wire isn't there so you don't trip over next time <laughs> uh, yeah as long as you're learning from it it's fine but yeah it can be very disheartening but yeah I remember when I first played about with clay if you like yeah I was rolling it out and, and doing stuff with slabs and I thought oh this is so easy anyone can do it by the end yeah. of this six-week course I was like, this is so bloody difficult. There's so many obstacles and hurdles. And the thing is, them obstacles and hurdles are hiding. They're not yeah. even something you can sort of come against and get around. Yeah, you know, you no, sort it's of... true. And it, it's, it's that thing about, you know, um, it's all practice. So, you know, in the days when to, to be a thrower, you would be an apprentice thrower. And so yeah. you'd go in as a young person, young lad generally into the factories or, and you'd be an apprentice and you'd have to throw 3000 pots. I mean, I worked with a potter once who, um, I, I thought I was gonna get some throwing practice on the wheel because I was doing a summer holiday job in his pottery. He wasn't let, he didn't let me anywhere near the wheel until the very last day <laughs> um, when he literally threw some, clay on the wheel and said go on let's see what you can do and there were visitors and it was just like the most nerve-wracking experience but he he told me that he had to throw three thousand pots and he had to cut each one in half because if you cut it in half you can see where you know yeah. where your issues are before he was allowed to keep one you know and that's a, it's a very valuable lesson because again when i'm teaching obviously the first time people want to and this is what i'm teaching say adults to throw in an evening class sometimes they want to keep the most awful you know heavy clod hoppy things and I try to talk them through sort of like you know spending the time there really practicing because it's all about practice and I always say to people if you want to learn the best thing you can do is to go and try it out then watch YouTube videos because there's some amazing YouTube videos and you yeah. get so much from watching especially once you've had a bit of feel of what it feels like to touch and then um, go and book onto a three-day course, you know, take some of your holiday from work or whatever. But if you can do that, you'll improve so much more than going once a week, yeah. you know, two hours or something. So, yeah. Well, when I was a smoker, which I'm, I'm mm. you know, I'm gladly not anymore. Mm. I had a, an ashtray that I'd thrown and it was on a, a small, I don't know whether you'd call it a stand, but, you know, I'd, I'd sort yeah. of thrown this little bit and it was an ash and, and people often commented about how nice this ashtray was and I couldn't keep it to myself. I just had to say, well, it was intentionally, it was meant to be yes. a goblet, yeah. but, yeah. <laughs> but that yeah. collapsed. And the only bit that was sur that yes, survived yeah. was the, um, the little bit at the that's, bottom. That, yeah. That's you learning to adapt. And that's yeah. brilliant because yeah, it's a lot part of it. It really is a lot part of it. I, I don't set out to make a specific thing ever. I find I really like the the sort of fluidity of things and often I will make what's in my mind but other times it will go somewhere else and be like oh there's a bit too much clay here what happens if I push that out there and yeah, it's always yeah. a learning you know learning thing so I don't do repeat throwing I do um you know yeah everything's different which I enjoy so yeah very much well the first question that I ask every oh, yeah. artist Carolyn is I think it's been pretty much answered at the moment <laughs> But how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? Okay. Well, I throw in porcelain um, and I choose porcelain because I love the feel of it, um, yeah. both in my hands when I'm making and then afterwards, because I don't always glaze the surface and porcelain has this 
brilliant ability to self-glaze when it's fired to temperature. So that's why I choose that. But it is one of the more difficult things to throw with. So, you know, you do have quite a high failure rate when you're starting out, and, but I love it. I love it so much. And then I decorate, and I suppose that's the thing that needs a bit of explaining. The, the way I decorate my work is I use, um, I borrow techniques that were used in industry for things like the blue and white china that have been decorated where there's yeah. multiples, although not hand-painted, but printed. So spodeware is, is a lot of the decorations printed. And my decorations, when you look at them from a distance, you might think, oh, that's blue and white china. But when you look closely, you'll see that it's a whole mismatch of yeah. different things. And the surface of my work is is basically an homage to everything I see and think of and something things that catch my attention. So it might be poetry that I've written, that I've read. Yeah, it might be lyrics nice. and songs. It might be drawings. So last year I did a lot of Zoom. And so there's lots of little Zoom squares appear, like that little video with yeah, yeah, yeah. on my work. And it's it's what I do with that, that illustration is that I sort of do it flat and then I print it, screen print it using ceramic inks. And then rather than just transfer it onto the piece, because a lot of it is very personal, mm. you know, this body of work started um, at a period of my life when I was sort of had, was, was right in the middle of a lot of grief, losing a couple of very close people. And it was a way of me sort of getting a lot of my feelings yeah. out. And, and I think also as, you know, my upbringing was definitely to be seen and not heard and, it took me a long time to find my voice and I found it, but I'm also still quite wary about who I shout it to. <laughs> so I don't want everyone to know all my personal stuff, of course. but I like to get it out there. So I tear then the pieces um, into small pieces and put it onto the work. And so um, what you see is snippets of something that might make you think of something. Um, so yeah, that, that's, I don't know whether I've explained it that well. It's also, I suppose, a modern take on a historical tradition. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, when I first saw your work, I, I, I don't know ceramics that well. Mm. Um, but when I first saw your work, I recognised the style, mm. um, the sort of rounded body with a, with a thin neck, the yeah. blue and white. Yeah. And then I saw a, um, a, a red square on it, mm. which... When I've seen that before, that's been Oriental writing. Yeah, yeah. And then when I sort of get close to it, that's the little twist that yeah, yeah that, there's that a bit of an explosion. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of my um, days in the VNA in the ceramic gallery sketching, and so there's a lot of Oriental influence in there. Yeah. And I was given a pot um, somewhere in my studio from an uncle. Um, my great uncle used to travel in China back in you know the forties. And 50s and he did a he he wrote some books on he, he got to know um he worked in sort of chinese uh, academia academia and he wrote books on sun yat-sen and and you know it was an amazing guy i remember him very well and he used to come back with postcards that were beautiful and nice. and then he gave us this little pot um and it was that was the starting point for this it was because this throne work i haven't been throwing for years i was slip casting before this and then things happened in life and I had to stop doing that and the this little pot represented me 
saying, can I do that? I'm going to try and yeah, do that. And yeah. that's how it sort of kick-started. So, yeah, yeah. And what what those pots, what were they originally designed for? I think a lot of them were ornamental, um, oh, but, yeah. uh, but, but to hold liquids. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, some of them, the necks are so slim that, yeah, there's no way you could you could pour well it wouldn't pour out very well no. you know, you'd probably get the liquid in there but it wouldn't pour out very well so I think ornamental um a lot of them yeah, yeah and, and as I say that that little twist and, mm. and when you realize that what you're looking at isn't what you're looking at I, yeah. I like that in in any yeah. form of of creative practice well it's it's, it's interesting because I first came across you um during lockdown um because of Maeve Doyle that's it lovely Maeve Doyle um she said to me, um, you should look up your work. And I did, and I was blown away. And that's why, you know, straight away, as soon as my first artist support pledge came through, yours was the first piece I bought. Oh, well, because I, And it reminds me, you know, of, of mine, because there's all these hidden, you know, there's hidden mm. meaning. And then you look closely and you see that detail and you're like, wow, you know, blown away by it. So, yeah, I think there's a similarity there. Yeah, there's something nice about... Um giving someone something that yeah. isn't quite what they think to be a hidden whale factor if you like mm, you know yeah 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 it's yeah, nice yeah, was yeah. there always um art in the home growing up no not at all not at all I mean I I I joke that I was brought up in a cultural void <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's um I grew up in a, in a village in Worcestershire um really lovely village but um I left at 18 I, I went to Sheffield to do a degree a first degree in, and I never went back, never went back. What was back. your degree in? It was in communication studies. It oh, was yeah. in the 79 to 81, brilliant time to be in Sheffield. Um, I sort of call it a complete education because we did, it was anything to do with communication, literature, language, linguistics, computers. They were just starting computers. Yeah, I learned to yeah. write a little programme that said, hello, what is That was a good time to be in Sheffield, actually, wasn't it? It With was brilliant. The music I mean, out of the, music, the music scene was incredible. I saw so many bands, you know, I saw the Smiths before they were, you know, out there. I yeah. saw, uh, I mean, Sheffield was doing what Manchester done in the 90s, wasn't yeah, it? It was a brilliant place to be. And it was, you know, Labour Council, Tempe bus rides. Everyone was really friendly. Yeah. It was fantastic. You know, loved it. So, yeah, I grew up. And that's probably where I first came across culture. I mean, I say, you know, my mum and dad, music was a culture, music, but but art in terms of, I don't think, I don't recall going to art galleries or anything like that. I mean, maybe on a school trip occasionally, but it wasn't really something that was um, part of our lives. And then I have, um, we had a very good family friend who I sort of called him a bit like my cultural father. And he, when I moved to London, which I did fairly quickly, um, I was working in advertising at the time and that's where it was all happening. Um, he would take me to art galleries. I remember going to the um, Royal Academy, you know, with him the first time being absolutely blown away. Um, so, yeah, it was really when I came to London that, that the gallery scene and, you know, I was there when the galleries were free and then when they weren't free and <laughs> free again, you know. So, but yeah, it was, um, it wasn't part of my childhood, although craft was. I was always making things, yeah. you know, and I had a grandmother who, and a mum, my mum used to knit my doll's clothes. And so craft was very much part of my life. Yeah, I, I was the same. I, I grew up doing none of that. Although my mum, who was a single parent, 
um, she would be doing all the DIY indoors. Good for you her. Know, yeah. I, yeah. When Artex was in, in the, you know, the early eighties, <laughs> our, our home was Artex, you know, yeah. and that was her sort of putting Very it all satisfying. The yeah. <laughs> Hard and to get off again. <laughs> exactly. And the Christmas yeah. decorations were all handmade yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So although there was a lot of making going on in my home, I was just an observer rather than a participant, you know. But I think I think also at that time the art world was it was very much high art, wasn't it? And so it wasn't as accessible no. as it is now. I think well, um, and I, social media has really helped with that as well. But. I'd never even looked at the art world, yeah. you know. I had no interest in art whatsoever. Yeah. Um, as, and and I've, I've mentioned a few times on here, the only art that I took an interest in, I didn't see as art at that time, and that was album covers, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. And obviously they are, but I just saw it as a as something that was accompanying the record, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, that's, um, that, that's the high and low culture thing. Exactly, thing. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's not until you look back at it now and just see how quite apt how iconic some of those album covers are you know absolutely and also I mean I remember my first agency in London was this really um posh little agency where I didn't fit in it was full of you know real Sloan Rangers and I'd come from the Midlands and the North and you know I didn't wear one of those headbands and um and they did they really <laughs> did and and but I remember we shot this campaign for emu wool which was this mohair wool which I'd never heard of you yeah. know a lot of these things I'd never heard of like, what do you mean you didn't um but it was beautiful and we worked with this photographer called Sarah Moon and I think that was and we worked with Terence Donovan and I remember that being you know really fascinating and thinking yeah. photography god photography that's a really you know, I think, you know, if I could have my, if I had another career and I could go right back to the beginning, I would be a reportage photographer. That's the one thing I think nice. I've always wanted to, you know, I just, I just, I love photography. So yeah, that was something I hadn't considered as art, but it clearly very much is. So where did your art journey start as it were? Um, well, when I worked in advertising, I didn't really have any time to do anything other than work and socialise, because that's what we did. I mean, I'd be ending work in Manchester at 11 o'clock at night and, yeah. you know, back in London the next morning. And um, when I left that, I left that in my, I think, late 20s. I had a bad breakup. I needed to go on holiday. Well, I decided I was going to go on holiday and I had um, a good old family friend lived in New Zealand and he said, well, come out and see us. And I'd never thought of doing anything like that in my life. And... Um, I went to Trail Finders, as you did then, yeah. and I said, I want to book a ticket to New Zealand. And they said, well, the cheapest way of doing it is around the world. Where do you want to stop off? Stop off, you know. So I had like three stop offs on the way and three. So I basically did at the age of, I'm trying to think when it was, I don't know when I was 30, I can't even remember. I think it was about 30, I went around the world on my own Brilliant. and it was the best thing I ever did. Um, I mean, my poor mum, she took me to Heathrow and I was crying so much the man at the departure said you know somebody died <laughs> I was saying, uh, but, you know, it was the making of me really because I yeah. was on my own and and I'd never been on my own really no. you know I'd always live with people and and um when I got back I knew that I couldn't go back into advertising it wasn't for me and I started doing lots of different jobs you know I was working doing marketing for the um all sorts of people um charities and things and then it meant that 
you know, we clocked off at five o'clock, 5.30. So that I started doing evening classes then. And I eventually went on to do an art access course because I hadn't done art at school. I hadn't been yeah. allowed to do art at school. And that access course meant you had a portfolio. And I just thought, well, this portfolio is a bit, you know, wasted if I don't do something with it. And I'd love doing ceramics. I was doing ceramic evening classes. And so I applied to do a, a BA in ceramics at Camberwell and got nice. in, you know. Wow. And, and that was really, and at the time I just got my um, residency to live in New Zealand. I'd met someone and, and we were sort of emigrant. Well, it was more his decision than mine, but, um, and I just, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the, the, the degrees out there were not the same. And I came back and, you know, those three years at Camberwell were, uh, just amazing I you know I, I still have my very good friends from from then um, we're in contact virtually every day still and yeah it, I learned so much I was taught by some amazing people Brilliant. Um, yeah amazing so that's and really did that person go to New Zealand oh yeah they're in New Zealand now yeah oh wow okay I thought it was going to be a, a story that yeah no, no, you know no, no. I swiftly married someone else <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, when was it you decided you wanted to be an artist? I mean, I think once you'd done, once I'd done that ceramic degree, and I'm, I'm being a mature student, you know, certainly my, my first and my second degrees um, were very different. You know, yeah. first degree, I was like in as little as possible and having the time of my life. Second degree, I we the studios opened at eight in the morning and they closed at eight at night, and I was there you know, as much as I could be yeah. taking advantage. And I loved it so much. I don't think I, you know, there wasn't, wasn't much else. I knew ceramics had to be in my life. Um, you know, when I left, we were left with the, you know, sort of you, you write to five galleries, you send them your slides, you wait to hear back in the post. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and of course I wasn't, I realized as soon as I left that, um, well, how on earth do you make all this stuff? You haven't got this massive glaze room full of ingredients. Of course, yeah. Reality comes and slaps yeah, you on the arse, doesn't it, it? Yeah, it really does. And, <laughs> um, but with a group of friends, we we um, we knew some people who had a, a studio in Peckham, um, right when Peckham was Peckham, you know, yeah. um, in some arches. And so we we took over one of the arches and we did it up. And in that year, I also got pregnant. So. Um, I was up a scaffold tower scraping. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I then, you know, had my place in the studio, but I also became a mother and then to another one as well. So it was quite hard to make it work. And so yeah. that's when the teaching came in. I was asked to, one of my um, friends had taught and then was leaving to do something else. And she recommended me for this job in Haringey. So I went to do that. And so I was, I was working in my studio, but only keeping my hand in really and then I was teaching most of the time and at that point I was doing at least two two days a week yeah and so it's always sort of been part of my life but I don't think I believed that I could sell my work for a long time and it wasn't until I think I lost my mum and my oldest friend in the space of just over a year and both of them had been so um supportive and so saying to me you've got to do it you've got something here you've yeah. got to do it and that and then when I when they when my mum went she left me a bit of money which I thought I either keep it and you know die and leave it to my children <laughs> or I 
I say to myself, right, and I, I decided I'm going to get a studio on my own. I'm going to give it a year and I'm going to see how it goes. And that's, what did, and that's why I'm here in, in a different studio now, but on my own. And um, best thing I ever did, you know, for my practice. It's great that you're doing something because I mean, of a memory of someone, you know, as if you yeah. owed it to them sort of thing. Yeah. This is what they would have wanted. Yeah, it's beautiful. It is. And then when my friend um, was dying, we were in the hospice and she said to me, have you bought your bloody kiln yet? Because I had this <laughs> studio, but I hadn't got round to buying the kiln. And I said, I will, I will. She said, bloody buy it now, you know. <laughs> and it's like, okay, okay, okay. So every time I use my kiln, I think of Debbie. Nice. And it's like, she was, yeah, she was, you know, amazing. So, yeah. What sort of work was you making at the time? Um, before I any of it out, have I? Uh, before I um, did this throne work, I was doing slip casting. In fact, I have got that. Yeah, you mentioned about the slip cast. So yeah, so when I was, I mean, this is a really dusty, grotty bowl. And but slip was, casting, so, sorry, slip casting is a beautiful way of, uh, as an introduction into into the pottery yeah, world, and isn't it's, it? It's an industrial um, process. Um, that has been adapted to, you know, obviously studio practice, but it means you can produce the same thing. Yeah. So you, so I do make a series of slip cast vases. Here's one here, um, and I can produce those nice. sort of over and over again. Yeah. Um, I do decorate them differently, so they're not the same. Beautiful <laughs> make, color. Make love different. Yeah, that's it's quite interesting. That red on red, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's quite interesting. So I do do those, and that's sort of my studio line. But I was making these sort of slip cast vases, and I ended nice. up doing it in my cellar at home. And um, so each one was cast the same, and then I would use water to erode bits of them nice. and then I decorate them and luster them so multi-process multi multi-process multi to get to that point but I was doing that and I was selling my work on not on the high street oh yeah but um I wasn't really producing enough for them um and so people would and and because each piece was different and would take me a long time I'd get people ordering four of them. And I, instead of saying, oh, that's brilliant, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I knew that wasn't really what I should be doing. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was, yeah, it wasn't enough. I did it for a number of years. They sold reasonably well, but I know I was making my living out of teaching. Um, I wasn't, that was more of a keeping my hand in. But when my mum became ill with cancer, I she, she lived about a hundred miles away and I needed to spend, you know, as much time as I could with her. So, something had to give and that's what gave um yeah. and it gave me a break you know it's, it's like sometimes we need a break and life is so fast-paced we don't get a chance to have a break and that's why you know in a way lockdown for some people was very good because it made them stop yeah and rethink yeah. um and so yeah it gave me a break to think right what do I want? and it was like I want to do something try something else and say what about throwing again let's yeah throwing let's try and you know that's that's where it started really. brilliant yeah and it's, it's always good I've, i mention it a lot on this podcast it's it's always good if you're able and so yeah. many times you're not able yeah. is to stop for a moment yeah. step out of your everyday life yeah just evaluate what you've got going on maybe what you're doing is best you can jump back on that track yeah. But sometimes, you know, it, it's good just to have a look around and yeah. and sort of try and even try something new, you know. Yeah, it is. And it, and it is. It's so hard to do that. I think, um, you know, both times I've done it, 
was that time and then lockdown and it's sort of you know and when I said with lockdown I was like I set, set an online shop up because yeah. yeah that was that was the only way I was going to make any sales and both times you know it's been really fruitful but it, it wasn't me making that decision it's the time the decision made for me really yeah that I had to do something which is better. good sometimes yeah. isn't it you yeah. know because you wouldn't make that decision on your yeah. own you I say about when I was in prison um if it wasn't for prison I wouldn't have had this change because that's the time when, again, I had enough time to stop, look at myself, conscious decision to change, yeah. and I had time to change because if I was out here, yeah. the everyday humdrum of life is preventing you absolutely having that time to do yeah. so, you know. And then also the, you know, like me moving studios, I miss my friends I still see them, you know, obviously, yeah. so it's fine. But um, I would spend a lot of time. And the girl, the woman who's next to me, a lovely lady called Jane Muir, said to me, I'm getting so much more work done now that you've gone. And it's <laughs> You're a bad influence. You know, it's literally, <laughs> should we have a cup of tea? And of course, yeah. we'd have lots to say to each other. So, yeah. Well, you put the world at rights quite often. <laughs> yeah, but got no work done. Yeah, yes. I think we can all, um, yeah. all associate with that. Yeah. Carolyn, which piece, which piece that you've created has got the strongest emotional connection? Oh, golly. Um, it's not here, but there is a little, there's a little, little throne bottle that I made. And as I've said, I put words and I put pictures and things on it. And when my mum died, um, you know, we wanted to make her funeral as good as it could be. You know, yeah. we really did. So my sister wrote the eulogy and I decorated and I mean decorated <laughs> the order of service so I drew pictures and da, 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 da. so um and obviously choosing the music that was going to be there was very important and mum was a big John Denver fan and we used to oh, yeah. take the mickey out of her quite a lot about it quite a lot of the time but you know we knew some of the ones she liked but we came across this um song that he'd written actually about his divorce and it's called Perhaps Love and there are two recordings of it. One is with Placido Domingo, I think. Oh, wow. Um, but it's that's not the one that I like. Yeah. It's too operatic and everything. The one I like is him, uh, the one we played at her funeral, is him with a guitar just singing, you know. Um, and there is there is a bit of background as well. But it's, it's, it's about love. It's about love in all its forms. And it's sort of saying, and if it lives forever, my memories of love will be of you. And it, it said everything we needed to say. Nice. It was by the person that she'd loved to listen to. And so I did decorate that. Those words of the, that song are in a lot of my work in some form or another. Um, but there was one bottle I made and I made one vase and I just decorated it with those words. So it was just those words. And I have the bottle and I gave the vase to my sister. Nice. So, yeah, those are probably the most um, personal. And I won't make another one. Good. Like it. Um, Good. Yeah. And, and I suppose there's one other, actually, because my good friend, the, the one, the person I sort of describe as my cultural father, Chris, he died a few years ago. And I'm very close to his, his whole family were very yeah. close. And he had um, his last words were really beautiful. Um, and I put those on a piece um, for the three members of his family and gave them to them, um, you know, as a little memory so it's sort of yeah nice. those would be my most emotional pieces I think. oh beautiful yeah. that's beautiful and how about relaxing what do you do to relax 
I'll show you. I'll show you. Oh, there she is. Oh, wow. Good. <laughs> um, I love going for walks. I love going for wonders. Um, and yeah, just wandering around London. She comes on the tube and the train, you know, whatever bus very easily. So we, we do go places and just wander around. Oh, and I should um, say for people listening, you've just picked up your dog. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. I'm looking. Yeah, I picked and, up my little dog. She's 11 and a half. And wow. um, she uh, came into our lives. Um, my children sadly haven't seen their father for probably just over the time that she's been alive. Yeah. And I we borrowed a neighbor's dog and the kids were great at looking after it. And I thought, well, we could get our own dog now. And so she came into our lives as a sort of distraction, but I didn't realize how much I would fall in love with her. So um, so I walk and I socialize and um, I do do a lot of knitting in the evenings. Oh, I knit wow. and it keeps my hands flexible, which yeah. is because when you're throwing, you know, you can, I, I have suffered from RSI, you know, it's one of common yeah, yeah. for makers and things. So yeah, keeping my hands flexible, I do do that but there's a lot of stress in throwing isn't there yeah there is and then the other thing I do is is I love going to the galleries you know when I love going to galleries on my own or with friends or and that's something I found really hard since lockdown yeah um I'm a member of a couple of them and and like you can't even just turn up anymore you no. book. and I yeah. hate that I hate that booking I'm going to be somewhere at a certain yeah, time. sometimes a new normal isn't good, is it? Yeah, I don't. I still can't get my head around saying that in three Thursdays time I'll be somewhere at two o'clock. It's not how I, you know, I like no. spontaneity really. So, I am struggling a bit with that. Having said that, we're going to see the Kasama on Monday. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> I think I was forty-eight hours in the booking for that one. <laughs> Excellent. But yeah, how about if there was you and five other artists, past and present? What would your ideal group show be? group show well David Bowie would have to be there Brilliant. because I love his music and I also love his art so he would have to be there and then it's it's quite hard because I'm I I need to broaden my palette a bit I'll go right back in time and I'll say Chagall I've always loved Chagall's work I mean I think it's storytelling nice so yeah so he would be there and then um there's probably, you know, I, I, I'm very much involved in the pottery world. Um, I'd love, oh, I'd love Banksy to be there because I'd love to actually meet him. <laughs> I'd love Banksy. How do you know you haven't already? Well, I, I, I don't, and, and you know, there you go. I don't, and of course there is someone who we both know who does know him. So, of course. Um, and um, well, Tracy Emin. I love Tracy Emin's She's work. In the last exhibition she had at the White Cube about her mum's death, you know, it really resonated with me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've always, I remember seeing her bed at the South London Gallery in, you know, whenever it was, the 90, late 90s, mm. um, when I was at Camberwell. And it was, yeah, so her. And then, you know, there's probably a few figures from the pottery world, but I sort of know a lot of them. So I do occasionally have dinner with a lot of them, but I probably... I'd have to invite my friend Justine, who I see all the time. I mean, she lives in Wales, and but, but I do see her all the time. We FaceTime lots of days of the week. But we are a good double act, and we do sometimes do Instagram lives together, and we know yeah. each other very well. So I think that when I was in awe and not knowing what to say to people, she could step in and, and uh, ask the questions I know I'd like to know the answers to. Brilliant. I'd invite her as well. <laughs> Excellent. Well... A, a few weeks ago, I decided to 
group some podcasts together. In January, I wanted to sort of throw a few potters and ceramicists in there, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Patrick Calhoun, he's he's out tomorrow. Oh. And I've decided to do, um, to contact you. And do you know Claire Partington? No, I don't. She's a, she's not a thrower, she's a ceramicist, yeah. but she makes... Um, they look like tall medieval figures. They're very oh, wow. brilliant. But they're, it's as if they're they're bottles or something because the head comes off and you can put another head on the body. I love you know? it. I love it. And it will be like a, a stag's yeah. head or the oh, queen's brilliant. head or the king's head, you know. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, and yeah. I've known Claire for, for some time. And then I saw that the throwdown is coming back on. Yes, it is. It is. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so just... Last night, I, I took a punt and contacted um, Keith. Oh, and, he's um, entertaining. He's own, and, and Rich as well. Rich is the other tutor, um, not tutor, the other judge now. He was the um, he was the kiln guy, but yeah. he's been Rich for years, and he's got a really interesting story, Rich, as well. Oh, but good. Keith, oh, no. Keith, is, Keith is wonderful. No, he really is. He's, yeah, he's, he got back to me this morning, funny enough, he? to say yes. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, he's yeah. one of the most generous. I mean, you know, this is a lovely world that we work in, the art world, the, certainly the ceramics world is. And But Keith is, is a very generous man. He really is. And those tears are real. Oh, they fucking get me as well, Karen. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I've, I've looked at people's artwork and, and my friends from my old world cannot mm. get their head around how someone yeah. can look at an artwork yeah. and get emotional, you know, without knowing the story behind it. I something I think I remember when I was at Camberwell I had the privilege of of being um tutored by uh, an amazing man called Ewan Henderson who's who's sadly no longer with us but he um made some of the sort of quite iconic pieces he'd mix clay with oxides and all sorts of amazing things and produce these sculptural pieces and he said to me, um, we were talking about Anthony Gormley's Field of Dreams, which was yeah, those little yeah. clay And I remember going to see that and just, you know, in that doorway and you peeked your head around and there's, and it just, yeah, because the forms are really simple and he hadn't made them, you know, other people had made them. Yeah. It was just so beautiful, the undulations. And, and Ewan said to me, yeah, good piece of art needs to hit you here. And that's my head, your heart and your stomach. Yeah. And I've always thought that. And you do you come across things and they do they get you in all those places and those are the ones that that make you sort of cry that make you it's it's funny how when you see something like that it gets you straight away so Mm. automatically it ticks all of the boxes the mental boxes that we have inside it ticks all of those straight away and then you start absorbing or trying to absorb what it means what it yeah and what yeah absolutely yes a beautiful moment yeah, no, it's his lovely. So Keith, oh, Keith will be, that'll be really, he's brilliant. He's got his studio in Whitstable and uh, he does the most, he does really, really funny, um, um, well, he's just funny videos as well. He makes funny videos. Keith, is, have you ever seen any of his YouTube videos? But he um, he also, you know, he does lots of, this is how you throw this, this is how you throw yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his lovely wife, Marge, who's a, She's in Panto, I think, at the moment. So uh, <laughs> he's, he's really like yeah. what, what, down in Whitstable? I don't know where she's in Panty, but I just saw in his Instagram feed, Marge dressed up. I think, I presume she's in it, not going yeah. to, I don't know, but you have to ask him about it. She that. might just be dressing up. She might be. She's <laughs> really amazing. She really did. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Well, you've already sort of answered this question, Karen. And if you wasn't an artist, what would you like to be? I gave my reportage for (laughs) that. I think, think, you know, it would have taken me... I did travel. I was lucky. I travelled a lot. Um, You know, that world trip went from being sort of six weeks to a year. And then after that, I travelled a bit more. But um, I think it would have taken me to all sorts of places. And... You know, before now going, I went, remember, I went to Vietnam um, one Christmas because he was in New Zealand, I was here, we had to meet somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember thinking, I wish I'd come here 15 years before. And that was in, you know, the late 1990s. And so I think reportage photography, the age I am, I would have seen some places that have been sort of ruined. Um, Yeah. You know, I think, I think that I was lucky enough for a while I the other one of the other things I did in between um going to college and you know when I was doing my working for lots of different people so I worked with a charity that did scuba diving um research work in oh, Belize. Wow. Nice. so I was a, I, I learned to scuba dive and I was helping to map the reef in Belize and you know we were in un, not uncharted territory but it wasn't where people went on holiday yeah so we were living on an island in the middle of you know the caribbean sea collecting rainwater to to drink from and wash with um and you know yeah getting our food from the mainland and having to boat it out twice a week and um so yeah it that was pretty wonderful and i think that career as a reportage photographer would have taken me to those different places excellent yeah, yeah. Well, an episode that came out a couple of weeks ago, as we're speaking, was um, Bren Simonson, and he was a reportage photographer. He'd he'd worked in war zones, yeah, and then decided to want to join the army, but a part time. So I don't know what they're called, mm. part time soldier, if you like. He was, I think, he said he was like thirty two or thirty five. So he was, as most of them are leaving the army, you know, he's joining, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it turned out to be the the special forces that he joined, yeah. you know. So he went back out to the the Helmand Province as, as right, yeah, special yeah. forces, yeah. Wow. and and doing both at the same time, you know, doing yeah, his photography yeah. while he was out there. So fascinating. I mean, I had a because we we were um, the army would supply our fuel for us, um, and I ended up on a boat, an army boat and looked at these people I was with, uh, it was quite weird. I was the only female on this particular landing craft that we were on. And I suddenly realized I was with the SAS on their R&R weekend because they were all so different. You know, they weren't, you know, your typical squaddies or anything. They were just so different and they're amazing group of people. No one would actually ever say. No, what of course not. Of course not. But it was, yeah, it was, uh, it's quite, yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah, I keep it to myself. <laughs> you have to, don't you? You have to keep it quiet. Yeah, I can't let me, I can't let me essay. I can't it. No one knows. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah, you yeah. could see me abseiling down the side of a building. <laughs> it takes all sorts to be yeah. part of that, though. It really yeah, does. You might see me passing the window at about 80 mile an hour as I hit the pavement, believe. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Carolyn, what you got coming up? Have you got anything coming up at the moment? No, um, I'm taking a bit of a break. Uh, I've had a lot. I've had a lot of shows. I'm actually applying for shows for next year, and I've got. Um, I'll have my open studio in May, and I've got a show in June down at Bobby Tracy in Devon, which is nice. a delight. I went down for the first time last year, and it was just so lovely. Um, never been to Devon really, so it was really really nice. Um, 
and yeah I mean I've got an online shop going um but yeah I'm taking a bit of a break now still posting things out for Christmas but that's about it you just mentioned your online shop while you're here what is the email address for your online it, shop yes, and, well my website is carolyn t ceramics if you google carolyn t ceramics um that's my website that's my instagram that's my facebook um and in that i have an online shop um with just a few pieces i sell my small pieces through my shop and then bigger medium and bigger pieces go all go to galleries and i've got i'm in i'm in um Bayard art in cambridge I've just sent some work to the Burton Gallery in Devon. I've just been accepted as a selected member of the Craft Potters Association. Nice. So I'll be in their shop soon. Oh, I've got other galleries I can't quite think of now, but they're all on my website. There's where to buy. There's a page. Um, and there's a whole load of pictures of what I do, which is it's quite a good idea to look at it rather than just listen to me waffling on about yeah, it. Yeah, brilliant. Of course. But yeah. All right, well, Karen, that's all my questions asked. Really Karen. good to talk to you. And you. I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. Been I've good. been looking forward to finding out more about you and your work. Oh, well, thank you for giving me the opportunities. I really, I'm thrilled when you asked. I really was, because I do listen to you, so it's good. Good. Well, have a good day, a great yeah. Christmas, and an, an amazing 2022. Yeah, and you. All Bye the then. best. See you Bye. later. Bye. Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. If you're unable to support us on Patreon... Leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast. Or even giving us a positive shout out on your social media. Anything is appreciated. But either way, thanks for listening. And until next week, ta-da. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.